Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. Sleigh bells ring, I'm your Slytherin. In the lane, I'm your Griffin. A beautiful sound, we're happy you found this Just, Just Keep, Keep Rolling, Rolling podcast episode. And speaking of just keep rolling, let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed the first half of Chapter 21, Hermione's secret and the corresponding film scenes. Snape had his ego stroked by Fudge, but still couldn't get that bespectacled little shit expelled. Madame Pomfrey is stocked up on chocolate, but all out of fucks to give. Ron regaled us with rat ramblings and really wished he had a thicker cast. Dumbledore probably should have waited a bit longer to dip into his glaucoma meds. Harry was given a crash course in theoretical physics, and Hermione knows the laws and isn't afraid to use them against Harry every time he wants to go after that rat bastard. During episode 60, wait, what? We had two Potter ponderings. The first one was, after Harry and Hermione time travel, they somehow end up in the entrance hall, and I'm not entirely sure how that was supposed to happen since they started out in the hospital wing. Discuss. Carly said that following a wormhole could potentially drop you somewhere else instead of just moving through time. So if Hermione is creating a wormhole every time she uses it, it would definitely be possible. This also creates an issue that there may be tons of wormholes around Hogwarts. Max basically agrees, saying that in time travel theory, once you start moving in time, you start moving in space. So maybe that? Hmm? Dave says it's an interesting question. He always looked at it as back to the future, where one can decide where and when to go. When Hermione just shows up in class or somewhere and the boys ask how she got there, obviously that wasn't the place she was before she time turned. He also asks how one knows that where they decide to appear on either trip won't be seen by others. Diana thinks it was probably just the closest safe location to where they'd been three hours previous. Because time travel is tricky and dangerous, the time turner drops you at a safe distance or somewhere visually obscured from yourself. They had been on their way to Hagrid's the first time around, so turning up in the entrance hall gives them a chance to hide themselves from the them they know are coming. Then she said, and yes, I did purposely construct that sentence to be ridiculous for you to read on the episode. Glad I didn't get stuck with that one. <laughs> Quincy said that he agrees 100% with Diana. He had been racking his brain trying to figure out how to say it, and boom, she's got it mapped out perfectly. Our other Potter pondering was, what happens when you encounter someone who uses polyjuice to become you? Is it like running into yourself when you time travel? Polyjuice potion versus time travel encountering yourself. Go. Carly doesn't think it would be the same. She also doesn't think that the repercussions for time travel are as severe as they lead us to believe. She thinks, especially in Hermione's case, that she already knew about time travel so it wouldn't have surprised her really. Same with polyjuice. If you know about it, that would be your first thought. Oh, someone has polyjuiced themselves to look like me. But then you have, why did they want to look like me? She doesn't think it would mess you up as much as we are led to believe. Max pointed out that when Harry is with the six other Harrys, he doesn't lose his mind, so he guesses it's okay. He thinks if you run into a previous self, then something magic probably happens, and you both go insane because your future is affecting your past, and that's a paradox. 
Dave said that polyjuice would have no effect on anything. It's like someone putting on a costume, a really good costume, of you. It's still the other person. Thus, if they get injured or killed as you, they suffer and it doesn't affect you at all. Even if they time-traveled as you with polyjuice, there would be no time-travel danger, just awkwardness if you saw yourself. For Quincy, he said, as far as running into someone pretending to be you under the guise of Polyjuice Potion while you've been time-traveling, he doesn't think that's how it works. He thinks that said person would be more in shock of being found out, depending on the circumstances they are impersonating you. Like, do they have you unconscious or tied up somewhere? Time-travel is tricky and confusing. It really is. Mm -hmm. That was some great input. Mm -hmm. I had just meant polyjuice in general and not while time traveling because that just puts a whole other layer on the question, which is making my head hurt. So we're just going to move right. on to the trivia question. <laughs> right, moving on. <laughs> Let's just keep rolling. <laughs> Last week we asked, who does Harry and Hermione see going to fetch the Dementors right before they go to rescue Sirius? As they are waiting for the right time to fly Buckbeak up to Sirius, they see a man with something silver glinting from his belt. And Harry says that it's McNair going to fetch the Dementors. Congratulations goes to Dave Garza, who managed to be the first person to post the correct answer on the trivia post, even though he didn't realize that it was the trivia post. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what happened there, <laughs> right? but I mean, he still won. So good job, Dave. We also want to give a shout out to Robert, who said he's been absent, but still loves us. And we love you too. Hashtag bitches get snitch stitches. <laughs> We also just want to mention that we released the episode at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we are going to keep with that for the time being so that more people can hopefully participate. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret, Part 2 The second half of the book chapter picks up right after Hermione tells Harry that terrible things happen to wizards who meddle with time. As Harry tries to say that bursting into Hagrid's cabin and grabbing scabbers was just an idea, Hermione points to the castle where they see Dumbledore, Fudge, McNair, and the old committee member heading towards Hagrid's house. A moment later, the two watch themselves and Ron leave through Hagrid's back door, protesting that they will tell the minister what happened and that they can't kill Buckbeak. They see past Hermione throw the cloak over past Ron and Harry and listen as their footsteps retreat. Present Harry and Hermione listen to what's happening inside the cabin. They hear McNair ask where the beast is, and Harry narrowly avoids being seen as his face appears in the window. They listen as Fudge tells Hagrid what the procedure is for the execution, and when McNair's face disappears, Harry tells Hermione to wait and goes to approach Buckbeak. As Fudge reads the official document, Harry carefully looks into Buckbeak's eyes and bows. When his bow is returned, Harry unties Buckbeak and struggles to pull him towards the forest, beginning to panic when he hears footsteps in the cabin. They are ten feet from the cover of the forest when Dumbledore tells McNair that he needs to sign the document too. This gives Hermione the chance to rush out and help Harry pull Buckbeak into the woods. The three fall still and silent as Hagrid's back door slams open and they hear the old committee member ask where the beast is. McNair furiously exclaims that he had just seen it. Dumbledore remarks that it is extraordinary, and the sound of an axe thud is heard when the angry McNair swings it into Hagrid's fence. From the trees, Harry and Hermione can hear that through his sobbing, Hagrid is praising Buckbeak for pulling himself free. The hippogriff begins to pull at his ropes trying to get back to Hagrid, and Harry and Hermione have to hold him back. McNair says that someone untied him and they need to search the grounds and forests, 
and Dumbledore responds, saying if someone had stolen Buckbeak, they would not have left on foot. He then tells Hagrid he could use a tea or a large brandy, and Harry and Hermione listen until it is silent again. Hermione tells Harry they have to wait in the forest until everyone's gone back to the castle, then they can fly Buckbeak to save Sirius. The sun is setting and they make their way carefully to where they can see the Whomping Willow and watch as the events of their earlier day are replayed in front of them. They see Ron chasing after Scabbers past Harry and Hermione chasing after him. Sirius in his dog form knock Harry over and drag Ron into the roots. Crookshanks freezing the tree and their past selves following after. Present Harry and Hermione then see Dumbledore McNair Fudge and the old committee member walking back to the castle. And when Hermione wishes that Dumbledore had gone with them, Harry points out that Fudge and McNair would also have gone with him and that Fudge probably would have had McNair kill Sirius on the spot. The four disappear from view on the castle steps and after a few minutes, Harry and Hermione see Lupin run towards the tree, grab a long branch to push the knot, freezing the tree before disappearing down the gap in the tree's roots. Harry wishes that Lupin had grabbed the invisibility cloak and when he says he could run out and grab the cloak himself, Hermione tells him again that they must not be seen. Harry doesn't understand how she can just stand there and watch it all happen and tries to run out to get the cloak. She grabs him by the robes just in time to avoid him being seen by the swerving tipsy singing Hagrid walking towards the castle. Hermione points out what could have happened and again tells him that they must stay out of sight. Another moment passes and the two see Snape run towards the willow, pick up Harry's invisibility cloak, and use Lupin's discarded branch to prod the knot and freeze the tree. He then vanishes from sight when he puts on Harry's cloak. Hermione says they have to wait there until everyone comes up again, and she tells Harry that she doesn't understand why the Dementors didn't get serious, because she saw so many before she passed out. Harry says that a Dementor had lowered its mouth to his, then a large silver something came across the lake and drove the Dementors off. He tells her that the only thing it could have been was a very powerful Patronus. Hermione asks who conjured it, saying he must have seen the person if the Patronus was so bright, and Harry admits that he thinks it was his dad. The two talk about it for a moment, and Harry says he knows it sounds crazy. They then sit in silence, leaving Harry with his thoughts about his father and his father's oldest friends. He wonders if he had been seeing things before he lost consciousness, but he had felt so sure for a moment. Over an hour later, Hermione sees them all leaving the Whomping Willow, and the two watch the awkward parade of themselves and the others begin their walk back to the castle. Harry looks at the cloudy sky, knowing that in a moment the moon will show through and Pettigrew will escape. Hermione tells him that they have to stay put, that they are there to save Sirius, not do anything else. Just then, the clouds move, the group stops, and Lupin begins to transform. Harry tells Hermione they have to move, and if she's telling him that they mustn't, he explains that it isn't to interfere, it's because Lupin is going to run into the forest right at them. Trying to decide where they will hide to avoid Lupin, and knowing the Dementors are coming, they end up going back to Hagrid's empty cabin. Harry throws open the door for Buckbeak, and Hermione rushes in after them and locks the door. Fang barks at their arrival, and Hermione hurries over to scratch his ears and quiet him down. Buckbeak settles in front of the fire and Harry looks out the window. He tells Hermione that he'd better go outside to see what's going on so they know when it's time. Hermione looks at him suspiciously and he quickly tells her that he's not going to interfere and asks how they will know when it's time to rescue Sirius if they can't see. Hermione says she will stay in the cabin with Buckbeak and tells Harry to be careful. There's a werewolf out there and Dementors. When Harry steps outside, he can hear yelping and knows that the Dementors are closing in on Sirius and he and Hermione would be running to him any moment. He realizes that whoever cast the Patronus would also be showing up. 
Harry hears the warning that he must not be seen in his head before he decides that he doesn't want to be seen. He wants to be the one who sees. He runs towards the lake and can only see the tiny silver mists of his attempts to conjure a Patronus. Hiding behind a bush at the edge of the water, Harry waits as nobody shows up and the glimmers of silver disappear. He wonders where his father is, watching the Dementors across the lake. Suddenly, Harry understands that it wasn't his father he had seen cast the Patronus, it was himself. He jumps from behind the bush, draws his wand, and yells, Expecto Patronum! A huge silver animal bursts from his wand and charges the Dementors, circling them and driving them back into the darkness. Harry's Patronus turns back, and he can make out the animal that seemed like a horse at first. Realizing as it bows its great antlered head where his father had gotten the nickname Prongs. Harry reaches out to touch the silver stag and it vanishes, leaving him alone with his hand still reaching out. He then hears the sound of hooves and turns to see Hermione and Buckbeak coming towards him. Hermione is furious that he interfered, but Harry pulls her behind the bush and explains that he was only seen by himself and that he thought he was his dad, so it's okay. Hermione is amazed by the advanced magic Harry performed, and he explains that he knew he could do it because he'd already seen himself do it. Hermione doesn't know if that makes any sense, but her confusion is interrupted when she sees Snape waking up across the lake. They watch him lift their past selves and Sirius onto stretchers and float them away with a fourth stretcher likely carrying Ron. Hermione checks her watch and tells Harry they only have about 45 minutes left to rescue Sirius and get back to the hospital wing unseen. Buckbeak looks for worms while they wait, and Harry wonders if Sirius is in Flitwick's office, and begins counting the windows of the West Tower. Hermione then points out a man leaving the castle with something shiny in his belt. Harry says it's McNair going to get the Dementors, and he and Hermione climb onto Buckbeak's back, and the Hippogriff takes flight. Hermione doesn't like flying on the great animal, but Harry urges Buckbeak forward, only slowing him to count windows when they reach the tower. Harry spots Sirius and they go to the window and tap on the glass. Sirius is shocked and makes his way to the window to find that it's locked. Hermione pulls out her wand, says Aloha Mora, and unlocks the window. Sirius asks how they are there, and Harry tells him that there's no time. McNair has gone to get the Dementors and they have to leave. Sirius manages to climb out the narrow window and onto Buckbeak's back behind Hermione. As soon as he is safely on, Harry tells the Hippogriff to go up to the tower. Buckbeak soars easily upwards and lands, and Harry and Hermione quickly dismount. Harry tells Sirius he has to leave now before it's discovered that he's gone, but Sirius asks what happened to Ron. They tell him that Ron will be okay and to go. Sirius asks how he will repay them, and they again tell him to go. Sirius and Buckbeak turn, but before they fly off, he tells Harry that he's truly his father's son. The two then take off into the night, and Harry and Hermione watch as their silhouette grows smaller. A cloud covers the moon, and then they are gone. In the movie, this section also picks up right after Hermione tells Harry that awful things happen to wizards who meddle with time. Harry takes in her words as Fudge, Dumbledore, and the Executioner get closer. Hermione turns back towards the hut, wondering why they aren't leaving. She glances down and sees the same fossil that she had picked up off the table after it broke the vase in Hagrid's hut. She picks it up, hesitates, then hurls it through the window, breaking the vase just as it already had broken before. She ducks down to make sure she isn't seen, as Harry asks if she is mad, then grabs another rock, hurling that one too and hitting past Harry in the head. Present Harry remembers getting hit with the rock and feels the back of his own head, telling Hermione that hurt. She says sorry, and the two remain crouched behind the pumpkins as they watch Dumbledore knock on Hagrid's front door and themselves sneak out the back. 
To avoid being seen by their past selves, they run into the trees behind them and take cover as past Harry, Ron, and Hermione hide behind the same pumpkins. They both peer out from behind trees, and Hermione wonders if that's really what her hair looks like from the back. She accidentally breaks a twig and past Hermione looks around behind her, starting to comment on what she saw, but trailing off before the trio run away. Present Harry and Hermione resume their hiding spot behind the pumpkins to make sure the coast is clear. Harry then steps out and walks through the pumpkin patch, while trying to avoid the crows to get to Buckbeak. A crow is perched on top of the post and nips at him as he is loosening the chains to release Buckbeak. He gets the chain and freezes as the door to Hagrid's hut opens. Dumbledore's voice can be heard telling the minister that he needs to sign too, and the door closes again. Harry tries to encourage Buckbeak to get up and go with them, but Buckbeak just continues to lie in the pumpkin patch and gets a little annoyed when Harry pulls on the chain. Hermione darts off and grabs some dead ferrets, using them to entice Buckbeak to move away before Dumbledore finishes signing his extremely long name. He gets up and she tosses him a ferret that he eats as they lead him toward the trees as Hagrid, Dumbledore, Fudge, and the Executioner exit Hagrid's hut. They pause again, afraid they are about to be caught, but Dumbledore has them all looking in the opposite direction, beyond the rocks. Harry and Hermione are able to use this time to get Buckbeak all the way into the forest and out of sight before they turn around and realize the hippogriff is gone. As Fudge wonders where the beast went, Dumbledore insists that Hagrid didn't have anything to do with it, since he was with them the whole time. Fudge thinks they should search the grounds, and Dumbledore says they can search the skies if they must, but is more interested in getting a nice cup of tea or a large brandy with Hagrid. He tells the executioner that his services are no longer required, and as he and Hagrid head back into the hut, the executioner lifts his axe and drops it down onto a pumpkin, slicing it in two and causing the crows to fly off. The scene cuts to Harry and Hermione running through the forest with Buckbeak as Hermione continues to tempt Buckbeak with ferrets to keep him moving. They stop for a bit to discuss what to do next, leaving Buckbeak with the ferrets as they run to the edge of the trees to see what is happening, just in time to see Lupin immobilize the Whomping Willow Tree. He is shortly followed by Snape, and Harry and Hermione must resign themselves to wait and sit at the edge of the forest. The scene transitions with a cloud of bats flying through the trees. Buckbeak jumps at them as they fly over Harry and Hermione's heads and out towards the willow. They acknowledge Buckbeak going after the bats, glad someone is having fun. And then Harry talks to Hermione about before, when he was down by the lake with Sirius and saw someone make the Dementors go away. Hermione says that it was with a Patronus. She heard Snape telling Dumbledore that only a really powerful wizard could have conjured it. Harry is sure that it was his dad, and when Hermione interrupts, he says he knows he's dead. It's just what he saw. They are both quiet for a moment, then Hermione sees them exiting the Whomping Willow. They watch from a distance, and Harry tells Hermione that when Sirius is talking to him there, he is asking him to go live with him. Hermione thinks that's great, and Harry says when they free him, he will never have to go back to the Dursleys. He talks about it being just the two of them, living someplace where Sirius can see the sky after all those years in Azkaban. Their conversation is interrupted with past Hermione's yell, calling Harry's name and alerting them to Lupin's transition. They watch as Werewolf Lupin tries to attack them, but is diverted by Sirius in his dog form. They run along the edge of the forest to get a better view, and see past Harry draw the werewolf's attention to himself. But before anything can happen, present Hermione cups her hands over her mouth and howls. Present Harry tries to stop her, wondering what she's doing, and she explains that she's saving his life and howls again. 
The werewolf begins to bound straight towards them, and Hermione says she didn't think about that, then directs Harry to run. The two take off back into the forest where they hide behind a large tree. The werewolf sniffs around and finds them, but before he can attack, Buckbeak gets between him and the kids and backs him off. Hermione comments on how scary that was, and Harry notes that Professor Lupin is having a really rough night. Then they see the Dementors flying overhead, and Harry says Sirius's name before they again run off to see what is happening. They get to the edge of the forest across the lake from past Harry and Sirius, and watch as the two are swarmed by the Dementors. Past Harry drops to his knees as present Hermione remarks how horrible it is, and Harry assures her that his dad will come and conjure the Patronus. They continue to watch as more Dementors swoop in, and the situation becomes more dire for past Harry and Sirius. Harry says it will be any minute now, and points to the spot he had seen his dad standing. Hermione tells Harry that no one is coming, and they are both dying. Something clicks for Harry, and he runs out to the spot where he saw his father and yells, Expecto Patronum! Conjuring the stag Patronus that saved his and Sirius's life. The bright white light drives away all the Dementors, and past Harry sees himself just before he collapses the rest of the way to the ground. Harry lowers his wand, panting, and the scene transitions to him and Hermione flying through the sky on Buckbeak's back. As they fly, Harry excitedly tells Hermione that she was right, he didn't see his dad, he saw himself. He says that he knew he could do it this time because he'd already done it, and asks if that makes sense. Hermione says no and starts to tell him that she doesn't like flying, but it trails off into a scream as Buckbeak dives, soaring down towards the castle. They land on top of the dark tower where Sirius is behind bars and looks towards them as they approach. Hermione casts Bombarda, causing the gate to blast away from the doorframe, and then it transitions to Hermione, Sirius, and Harry flying away from the tower on Buckbeak as Sirius laughs gleefully. They fly around the castle with Sirius cheering, and then it cuts to Buckbeak dropping Harry and Hermione off in the courtyard. Sirius helps Hermione off the hippogriff and thanks them both. Harry says that he wants to go with him, and Sirius tells him one day perhaps, but for some time his life will be too unpredictable, and Harry is meant to be at Hogwarts. Harry protests because Sirius is innocent, and Sirius responds by telling him that it'll do for now that Harry knows it. He then puts his hands on his shoulders and tells him that he expects he's tired of hearing it, but he looks so much like his father, except for his eyes. Harry finishes the thought, saying that he has his mother's eyes. Sirius smiles and says it's cruel that he got to spend so much time with James and Lily when Harry didn't. But he adds on that the ones who love us never really leave us. He says, you can always find them, in here, as he places his hand over Harry's heart. He walks away and climbs back on Buckbeak, telling Hermione that she really is the brightest witch of her age. She smiles up at him and backs up to stand next to Harry as Buckbeak rears back and takes off with Sirius and flies off into the night. So the second half of this chapter and movie section continue to run pretty parallel. Mm-hmm. In the book, it's at this point that they notice Dumbledore Fudge and the old committee member, and McNair, the executioner, are heading towards Hagrid's hut. Hermione says that they're about to come out, and they watch as their past selves exit from Hagrid's back door. The movie has this set up differently. I know you're all surprised. What? <laughs> Fudge, Dumbledore, and the Executioner, who is credited as McNair, but never referred to as McNair, continue to get closer to Hagrid's cabin. It's also only the three of them. They don't include the fourth member of the party, that the book only refers to as the old committee member. But anyway, Hermione watches as they get closer and says, We aren't leaving. 
Why aren't we leaving? Leave, damn us! She then looks down and notices the fossil that she had picked up off the table after it flew through the window and broke the vase. She looks at it and then chucks it through the window, breaking the vase. So even though this wasn't in the book, I love this addition. It incorporates another element to the time travel aspect of the story. Time travel is really tricky to write and therefore often done completely wrong, especially since there's more than one way to successfully incorporate time travel. But if you mix and match the rules, it doesn't always work out very well, Mm -hmm. more often than not. Mm -hmm. In Prisoner of Azkaban, both the book and the movie really effectively implemented the closed loop time travel theory. Basically, the moment time travel was introduced into the story, i.e. Hermione received a time turner, Mm -hmm. what she was going to use the time turner to do, she already did. Yeah. I like to say nothing never didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a triple negative, but it makes sense. It does, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or if you don't think about it too hard. You gotta try and be like me, as little thinking as possible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But with the closed loop... Since time is a loop, everything is basically happening at the same time, and things are fixed so they can't be changed. Like when Hermione overslept and missed Charm's class, she couldn't use the time turner at that point to go back and be there because if she had done that, then she never would have appeared to miss it to begin with. Yeah, which is why people have such a hard time writing time travel plots, because it gets, how do I say this, confusing as fuck. And the tenses, the tenses get funny. Right? Us trying to do past Hermione and present Hermione. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta differentiate somehow. She threw the rock through the window and it fell through the window. Wait, what? She broke the vase that had already broken before. (laughs) She broke the vase that she broke earlier. But having the rock fly through the window earlier on when we don't know where it came from is another example of how if it's going to happen, it's already happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Once we realize that Harry and Hermione traveled back in time and we see Hermione throw the first rock and break the vase on Hagrid's table, it shows us that they were always there, even though they didn't yet know that. It was a phenomenal example and followed the same rules the book had established, so I didn't mind the addition, even though it wasn't in the book. Yeah, it's great. But Harry is still in what mode? And wants to know if she's mad. She responds by grabbing another rock and throwing it, because that's the way to prove you're not mad. Mm -hmm. This one hits past Harry in the back of the head, causing present Harry to touch the back of his own head and tell her, hey, that hurt. Hermione says sorry, but can we be honest? Hermione isn't really sorry about chucking a fossil at Harry's head. She was just paying him back for being so dumb. Yeah, he doesn't have the redeeming moments like in the book where he figured out Dumbledore's cryptic clues. Oh, not at all. But present Hermione's fossil tossing alerts past Harry, Ron, and Hermione of the approaching Dumbledore and Ministry folk, and they finally leave Hagrid's hut out the back door. Present Harry and Hermione head out of sight in the forest as the past trio assumes their own hiding spots behind the pumpkins. Tactical pumpkins. (laughs) Behind the tactical pumpkins. (laughs) In the book, they aren't hiding behind the tactical pumpkins. They are watching from the forest the whole time. And as they watch their past selves and Ron disappear under the invisibility cloak, there's a knock on Hagrid's front door and he opens it to let Dumbledore Fudge McNair and the Olds Committee member in. McNair asks where the beast is and they see his face appear at the window after Hagrid tells him that he's outside. Fudge tells Hagrid they need to go over the official notice and then sign it. 
He says McNair has to listen too, and his face disappears from the window, giving present Harry and Hermione their opportunity to rescue Buckbeak. In the movie, there's another attempt of humor added when Hermione looks at her past self and wonders if that's really what my hair looks like from the back. And are you fucking kidding me? I hate this line so goddamn much. I can't even tell you how much I hate this fucking line. I'm with you. So I hate it. I get it. So much. It's just lazy ass script writing. It just, I'm sorry, it is. Oh, she's a girl. She must care about what her hair looks like from the back. No, motherfucker. She's Hermione. And Hermione doesn't give a shit about trivial stuff like what her hair looks like from the fucking back. Is that really what my hair looks like from the back? It's so cringeworthy. But that's not how it happened in the book. No shit. (laughs) Because the book actually made sense. She doesn't get a close-up of her own hair because it disappears under the invisibility cloak with the rest of her. She then accidentally breaks a twig and the snapping sound causes past Hermione to look around and think she sees something. Which is another example of something we saw ahead of time without knowing what it actually was. Yeah, stupid line, but a nice little clue. Yep. Past Harry, Ron, and Hermione run back up the stone stairs on the hill once the coast is clear. Present Hermione and Harry resume their hiding spot behind the pumpkins, and then Harry steps out and approaches Buckbeak. In the book, Harry makes eye contact with Buckbeak and bows before approaching him. Once Buckbeak bows back, Harry unties him and tries to lead him away. The hippogriff resists a little at first, but then grudgingly starts to follow Harry. Before they can make it all the way to the forest, they hear footsteps making to exit Hagrid's cabin, and then hear Dumbledore tell McNair that he needs to sign too. The footsteps stop and Harry heaves on the rope a few more times to get Buckbeak to trot. They disappear into the trees just in time. The movie has Harry bow at Buckbeak but spends a little more time on the resisting hippogriff. They also include a murder of crows that keep getting in Harry's way just for a little extra histrionics. Buckbeak refuses to even get up after Harry unchains him and Hermione ultimately has to bribe him with dead ferrets to get him moving. I mean, damn Buckbeak, move your horsey bird ass, we got shit to do! I mean, at least the ferret's got him going, though. Well, sure, who doesn't enjoy a nice dead ferret? Hagrid probably eats ferret sandwiches, too. Poor little stoties and ferreties. Any hoodles. They start to get him moving, and the entire time Dumbledore is stalling, first by saying he should sign his rather long name, too, then by pointing out beyond the rocks in the opposite direction. And I love all the stalling he does here. Like, does he know Grand Theft Horseybird is going down right outside, or does he just like irritating fudge? We're both. Considering that I think Dumbledore is omniscient, I absolutely think he knew Grand Theft Horseybird was happening. An irritating fudge was just the icing on top. Yeah, like I said, so both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> then in both, they turn to where Buckbeak had been and find he's gone. In the movie, Fudge wonders where he went, and Dumbledore makes sure to point out that he can't accuse Hagrid because he was with him the whole time. In the book, it's the old committee member who asks, and McNair insists that he just saw it there. Dumbledore says, how extraordinary, and that just reinforces my view that he knew what was going on the whole time. (laughs) The executioner swings his axe at the fence in anger, and then Hagrid begins to howl. Now that Harry and Hermione are within earshot, they can hear what he's actually saying through his sobs, which is basically along the lines that he's gone and must have pulled himself free. In the movie, they first have Fudge talking about how they should search the grounds, And Dumbledore tells him they can search the skies if they must, but he has clearly already accepted that Buckbeak is gone and is over it. Mm -hmm. He asks Hagrid for a cup of tea or a large brandy, 
Like, damn, Dumbledore, you just wanted to chill at first, but then all of a sudden you want to get hammered. Then he tells the executioner that his services are no longer required. In response, the executioner cleaves the pumpkin in half, and based on the attitude that Dumbledore gives the executioner, the sass leak obviously extended all the way to Hagrid's hut. It is pretty sassy. I mean, seriously, like, he does everything short of snapping his fingers in the executioner's face. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Also, this entire section of the movie is similar enough to the book, and both show us what the executioner actually killed, because it definitely wasn't Buckbeak. We were just supposed to think it was. Which is exactly why they never showed Buckbeak being killed. Aside from the fact that that would also have scarred millions of children. (laughs) (laughs) Details. In the movie, we only could see the executioner lower the axe, and the trio assumed that he had killed Buckbeak. So the audience did too. Right. In the book, we read that they could hear the axe drop, and Hagrid was howling, so we assumed that Buckbeak had been killed. But the second time around, we realized that he was howling and crying in happiness because Buckbeak got away, which is an amazing example of the closed time loop also. Buckbeak never actually died because Harry and Hermione were always there to save him. Yeah, this is one of the reasons Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite. This is the main reason that Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite. Mm -hmm. It's honestly one of the most successful uses of closed loop time travel and literature that I've ever read or watched. It explains it so well Mm -hmm. without actually having to spell it out. Right. It keeps it simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a kid's book. Technically. Technically. But it's (laughs) like, I think that's part of the problem is a lot of times people want to overcomplicate it. Yeah. And it is a complicated theory. But Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, if you think about it too hard, because you get people that'll be like, well, why didn't they just use the time turners to go back and kill Voldemort when he was still Tom Riddle as a kid? Okay, did you read Cursed Child? Yeah. Because it, it pretty much shows you why you can't do that. Yeah. However, Cursed Child also kind of messed up. Cursed Child, Time yeah, travel that... with, that's already within the world. Because it used a different kind of time travel. Mm-hmm. It, it, it mixed and matched. But that's a completely different episode. That's a horsey bird of another color. A horsey bird of another <laughs> color. <laughs> I think I just got the episode title. <laughs> Ah, good times. We need to remember that phrase. That's a horsey bird of another color. It's been recorded, so... It has. There we go. (laughs) That doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah, true. Side note, at the end of this part of the movie scene, the crows made me feel like Trelawney predicting everybody's death. Because crows are an an omen of death. And between one landing on Fudge's hat and Harry getting his feet attacked by them, I thought they were symbolizing everyone fucking dying. Which is precisely why I had to specify that they're called a murder of crows, because I love that. (laughs) But I never really even thought about the implication of the presence of crows. They weren't there in the book, so my brain never really went beyond, that's not how it happened in the book. (laughs) I think they were just meant to be misleading. Like, they were present in the first time around when we thought Buckbeak had been executed, so they could not include them the second time around when no one died. Yeah, I can see that. I also think it made it a much more dramatic when the axe comes down and all the crows scatter. It oh, made for it, sure. It made it a much more dramatic shot. But you also talked about how in the movie, Dumbledore told Fudge to search the skies if he must. Mm -hmm. And this was pretty much straight from the book. It just happened after McNair hits the fence with his axe because it's the executioner that says someone untied the hippogriff and that they should search the grounds in the forest. Dumbledore inhales that sass leak and says, 
McNair, if Buckbeak has indeed been stolen, do you really think the thief would have led him away on foot? <laughs> Search the skies if you must. <laughs> then he asks Hagrid for the tea or the large brandy. So fairly similar to how the movie did it, just a slightly different order. At this point, the book and the movie continue along a similar path, for they basically have no choice but to wait until something else happens. In the movie, they travel through the forest to get to a point where they can keep an eye on the Whomping Willow. In the book, they're basically doing the same thing. Hermione reminds Harry that they can't be seen, and they get there just in time to see past Ron run across the grass yelling for scabbers. They watch as he dives for his rat, and then Sirius shows up in dog form and seizes him. Then present Harry and Hermione get to watch as past them get beat up by the Whomping Willow Tree. And Harry comments on how it looks worse from there and how weird it is to watch. The movie sets this part up a bit differently, too. Shocker, I know. They do go through the forest to get closer to the Whomping Willow, continuing to tempt Buckbeak with ferrets the whole way. Then they leave him with the ferrets and move to the edge of the trees just in time to see Lupin immobilize the Whomping Willow. Oh! That's why the tree wasn't moving when they exited later the first time around. It must have still been immobilized from Lupin. I wonder how long that would have actually lasted. Hmm? It clearly couldn't work forever. Lupin is obviously a pretty proficient wizard, so I would imagine it would last a while. Maybe it's like how in some fantasy lore, magic is undone by sunrise or something like that. Maybe. Oh, you know, I'm wondering too, because Lupin was no longer in his right mind when he changed, why didn't that wear off the immobilist too? Yeah. It's still weird. I think our original it, conversation stands. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I mean... And it allowed me to make all the puns, so well, I'm not, I'm not going to... I'm not taking it back. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it filled in a plot hole, but not Ish. entirely well. It kind of created a new one. Yeah. Yeah. It basically took the plot hole, filled it in with cotton candy, and you were like... Oh, okay, I guess that'll do. But then someone drove over it and it just fucking flattened it anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but really, Harry, maybe you want to remember that Immobilis spell for the next time you piss off that tree with your existence. Seems like a good way to avoid being tree-capitated. Don't. Uh, bop, bop. Don't start that again. Fine, I'll just keep rolling. In the book, before they see Lupin approach the tree, they also get to see Crookshanks press the knot to freeze it. Which, in the book, is how past Harry and Hermione get into the tunnel under the tree, not the slapstick shenanigans the movie doesn't bother recapping through time travel. <laughs> Once was definitely enough. True story. Mm -hmm. As they watch themselves disappear into the tunnel, Hermione says that she wishes Dumbledore had come with them. And Harry says that Fudge and McNair would have come with him too. And he thinks that Fudge would have told McNair to kill Sirius on the spot. Then they see Lupin show up, and instead of immobilizing the tree, he grabs a long stick and prods the knot on the trunk. Far less magical than the movie's version. Since they never established there was a knot, Immobilis made the most sense to stop the tree from attacking him. In both, shortly after they watch Lupin disappear into the tunnel, Snape shows up too, and disappears also into the tunnel. Imagine that. What?! The book also has Harry think it would be good to leave their hiding spot and run and grab the invisibility cloak that he ever so stupidly left behind in the first place. 
Hermione stops him, reminding him that they can't be seen, and it's not a moment too soon, because had he gone after his cloak, he'd have been seen by Hagrid. Which did not happen in the movie. No, it's not ultimately important to the story, (laughs) but it is another example of the fact that it was never going to work out for Harry to go grab the cloak, because had he been able to, Snape would have never been able to use it the first time around. True. It's a moot point for the movie, because they never even included the invisibility cloak to begin with. Snape just enters the Whomping Willow Tunnel, and Harry and Hermione resign themselves to wait. They hang out at the edge of the forest near the Whomping Willow and watch Buckbeak play badminton. They love that. God damn it. The things I do for you, Ellen. (laughs) Don't give me that smile. It's just fun when I can make you do puns too, because you let me write the scripts. (laughs) I really need to learn to read these beforehand. You know, I'm not worried about that happening at all because it takes extra effort. (laughs) I would be offended, and I probably should be. Somehow I'm not. Oh, I know why, because it's fucking true. Because she's Ron. Because I'm Ron. But in both, as they're waiting, the topic comes up about what sent the Dementors away. In the book, it's Hermione who brings it up. She says that she remembers them showing up, but then she passed out and she doesn't know what happened. In the movie, it's Harry who brings it up. Talking about before, when he was down at the lake with Sirius, he saw someone make the Dementors go away. Hermione specifically says that it was a Patronus. She had overheard Snape tell Dumbledore that only a really powerful wizard could have conjured it. This is actually another Grand Theft Audio Hermione moment. Because the book has Harry explain to her that it could have only been a really powerful Patronus that sent them away. Then Hermione asks who conjured it. The book and the movie line back up again here because in both, Harry tells Hermione that he thinks it was his dad. And in both, Hermione says, Harry, your dad's dead. And Harry's like, yeah, I know. My mom's dead too. Want to rub some more salt in the wound? (laughs) Jesus, turn the knife counterclockwise now, bitch. Book Hermione's not quite so heartless. (laughs) It describes her as looking at Harry with a mixture of alarm and pity. Which I actually think this reaction is pretty foreshadowing of her reaction much later on about the Resurrection Stone. But we'll obviously talk about that much later on. Much, much later. Damn. Yeah. Holy crap. We're going to totally forget this by that point. Probably. (laughs) But she wonders if Harry saw a ghost and he tells her that he looked solid, but maybe he was just seeing things. He thought it looked like his dad based off the photos he has of him. In the movie, he tells her that it's just what he saw. Then they are both quiet until Hermione sees their past selves exit the Whomping Willow. The movie definitely streamlined things because the book makes it clear that they wait over an hour before they see themselves exit the Whomping Willow tree. Harry spends most of this time pondering whether or not it could have actually been his dad. Wormtail was supposed to be dead and reappeared, so was it impossible that his dad did too? I can totally understand why he would want it to be his dad and the whole wishful thinking about it and everything, but come on, Harry. Yeah. I mean, if it is your dad, that makes him a bit of a dick for not coming back sooner, though, right? Right? <laughs> was he just living as a stag all that time in the Forbidden Forest? Right, like, like, what was he doing? Think that one through. I do believe we call those deadbeat dads. Nope, just a dead dad. <laughs> Fuck, that was terrible. You set it up. I had to hit it. I know. I loved it. I just badminton the shit out of it. Go, you go fuck yourself (laughs) right now. (laughs) But anyway, in the book, they finally spot themselves exiting the Whomping Willow. 
They've got Ron, Lupin, and Pettigrew first, followed by an unconscious Snape, then Harry, Hermione, and Sirius. Present Harry is all ready to go after Pettigrew again, and Hermione has to remind him again that they can't be seen. This is the theme here. (laughs) This gets a stubborn, so we're just going to let Pettigrew escape all over again. Hermione snaps back, asking how they're going to find a rat in the dark and gets a very begrudging, all right, in response. (laughs) In the movie, as they watch themselves, Harry tells Hermione that Sirius is inviting him to live with him. He is excited at the prospect, especially getting to leave the Dursleys, and says that they can get a place in the country, somewhere Sirius can see the sky after all that time in Azkaban. Then they hear past Hermione yell Harry's name, and they see the moon come out and Lupin start to transform. Which is also what happens in the book, right after Hermione talks Harry down from breaking time travel laws again. The moon comes out and Lupin starts to transform. The book and movies still run parallel at this time, but the details are definitely different. Definitely different. They're definitely different. (laughs) At this point of the chapter, Harry tells Hermione they have to move and she thinks he wants to interfere again. I mean, can you blame her? She spends half this chapter reminding him that they mustn't be seen. Harry, no. Harry, yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But Harry explains that he doesn't mean to interfere. He means because Werewolf Lupin is about to run into the woods straight towards them. Hermione's just like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And they decide to go back to Hagrid's cabin for safety. Because they know it's empty now since they saw him go up to the castle. The movie scene is definitely set up differently. They watch as Werewolf Lupin tries to attack their past selves and gets distracted by Dog Sirius. Then they run along the edge of the forest to keep an eye on things and see past Harry throw a rock at the werewolf to turn his attention away from Sirius. As the werewolf stalks towards past Harry, present Hermione cups her hands over her mouth and howls. Present Harry asks what she's doing, and she explains that she's saving his life and howls again. And why does Lupin respond to Hermione's terrible werewolf call? Yeah, I get what they were trying to do here. As an element of time travel, it worked to show us that Harry and Hermione were always present in their past to save the situation. But having a fake werewolf howl actually draw away a real werewolf is a bit ridiculous. Seriously, why make it a point for Hermione to say, Furthermore, the werewolf only responds to the call of its own kind. If you're just going to have a non-werewolf call a werewolf and be answered by the werewolf. Not to mention, she keeps yelling at Harry not to be seen, but then she goes ahead and does all this interfering bullshit. Technically, she wasn't seen, only heard. And as there are rumors to be werewolves living in the forest, no one would hear a random howl or two like that and think, wow, that sounds exactly like Hermione. Wonder what she's howling about. (laughs) I'm just saying. Harry literally kept wanting to make grand entrances into his past to declare his presence. Wow, you really just went there, didn't you? That's a great sentence. Okay. (laughs) However, Hermione's howling in the movie does create the same effect in the book and Werewolf Lupin comes running right towards them. Yeah, and the, yeah, didn't think about that. Run! Line is pretty damn funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's got some good timing to it. But unlike the book, they never revisit Hagrid's hut. They just run deeper into the forest, attempt to hide behind a tree, and ultimately end up in the werewolf's path before Buckbeak comes out of nowhere with the assist, like, Hello, I've got a large two-talon beat-down deluxe for a Mr. Stretchy Dog with male pattern baldness. (laughs) (laughs) 
What a good horsey bird. <laughs> Who's a good horsey bird? Buckbeak is. Yes, he is. Always cleans his feathers and delivers two talent beatdowns. Yes, he does. <laughs> By the way, since we're on the subject, I forgot to talk about my thoughts on Werewolf Lupin last time, and I must now write this wrong. What the fuck kind of werewolf is that? Like, granted, I'm no expert. I just thought he would be a little more... Oh, wolfy or something. He looks more like a were-naked mole rat. Physique-wise, I didn't mind his form at all. The The body shape was very werewolf-like, but I really did expect him to be hairier. Mm-hmm. Like, granted, the more I saw the movie, the more okay I became with this version. But damn, the initial shock of expecting a legit werewolf and then seeing this guy was damn near traumatizing. Legit werewolf, huh? You do know they're fictional creatures, right? Everything's real in my head, Ellen everything which is why i don't really want to be in your head neither do i most of the time <laughs> if we're being honest also hermione's that was so scary really just made me angry but harry's comment about lupin having a rough night definitely helped get my mind off of it well it was scary that mm, no <laughs> no Lupin really was having a rough night, but I don't think he necessarily held the patent on rough nights that evening. <laughs> I mean, Ron's leg was broken, unless you were watching the movie where it was bitten. Sure. Harry and Hermione took a total flogging from a tree. Oh my god, eat a dick. <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> Snape got locked out by an overzealous disarming charm, or two or three, and Sirius nearly became werewolf chow. Yeah, rough night all around, really. At this point in the movie, they see the Dementors start to fucking fly in. Because, you know, they do that in this movie. And Harry says Sirius's name as they run along the edge of the forest to get to the lake so they can see what is happening. In the book, they're just hanging out in Hagrid's house until Harry decides he better go outside to keep an eye on things. Hermione assumes he wants to interfere again, and Harry assures her that he's not going to interfere. So I swear! I, I solemnly swear! <laughs> She stays in Hagrid's hut with Buckbeak and tells him to be careful, and Harry heads to the edge of the lake to watch what's going on slash get a good look at his dad. Which, I mean, you can't, you can't blame him for that. Oh, no. Honestly. In the movie, Hermione's with him at this part, and they both watch as the Dementors swoop down on past Harry and Sirius. Harry is sure that his dad is going to appear any minute and points to the spot he saw him. Hermione tells him that no one's coming. And I gotta say, it's especially thick of Harry to take so long to figure out he cast the Patronus. Like, hmm, I've traveled back in time, and I'm standing near the exact spot where I saw my dead dad standing before I blacked out. Right after I thought I saw my dad, who I'm told I look a lot alike. Boy, I can't wait to see him. Yeah, in the book, it's a similar sentiment. He's just completely convinced he's going to see his dad and watches as no one shows up. <laughs> It then clicks that he didn't see his dad, he saw himself, and he flings himself out from behind the bush he'd been hiding and casts a super powerful Patronus that drove away all of the Dementors. Yeah, and even though it was an extremely delayed reaction, the moment he finally does realize he needs to conjure the Patronus is pretty well done, I have to say. I especially like the part where the Dementors get thrown around like used tissues. It's a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Plus, I didn't realize this until my 785th viewing, but the Patronus also thaws out part of the lake. Yeah, they really did do a fantastic job bringing this to life. Mm-hmm. Even if Dementors can't fly. Right? Like, Dementors can't fly. It's just, it's not okay. 
Anyway, then the movie shows us the other perspective of the moment, where we see past Harry take note of the Patronus caster that he thought was his father right before passing out. The movie scene had shown us that the Patronus was a stag the first time around, but in the book, Harry wasn't sure what form it took, aside from the fact that it was a large animal. So this is the moment that he gets a good look at it and realizes that it's a stag. He then remembers that his dad was nicknamed Prongs and realizes that his animagus form must have been a stag. And every time I read or listen to the part where he whispers Prongs, my nose burns and I start to tear up a little bit. Are you okay now? I will be. <laughs> okay. Prongs. Dad. Oh. Do you need a minute? I'm okay. Okay. Then Hermione comes running up behind him, dragging Buckbeak, and starts to lecture him for interfering. You said you were only going to keep a lookout. And you believed him, Hermione? That's on you. <laughs> right? <laughs> but Harry explains that he just saved all of their lives, and she wonders if anyone saw him. Now, all of a sudden, Harry understands time travel perfectly, and Hermione is the idiot. He's like, yes, haven't you been listening? I saw me, but I thought I was my dad. It's okay. <laughs> Then Hermione's impressed that he conjured such a powerful Patronus, and Harry tells her that he knew he could do it this time since he'd already done it, and asks if that makes sense. They have a similar conversation in the movie, except it's after the camera cuts to them flying towards the castle on Buckbeak's back. And again, Hermione, you're the one who keeps saying you can't let anyone see you, and then you scream at the top of your lungs while flying a fugitive horsey bird over the castle to go and help the recaptured fugitive man evade aforementioned capture. Just saying, take your own advice. In the book, before they fly Buckbeak, they watch Snape conjure stretchers and float them all up to the castle. Hermione says they have about 45 minutes until Dumbledore locks up the hospital wing and they wait for their moment to go rescue Sirius. They see McNair exit the castle to fetch the Dementors. Which was our trivia question. Exactly. But then they climb onto Buckbeak's back and fly towards the castle. Harry tries to count the windows as they pass them and they manage to spot Sirius through one of them. They tap on the glass and he tries to open it, but it's locked. Hermione uses Alohomora to open it and Sirius climbs through the window and onto Buckbeak's back too. It's much easier for them to find him in the movie since it doesn't involve window counting. They just fly to the tower and Hermione casts Bombarda to blast away the cell door. It's Good to know tower cells can be blown the fuck up by a third year. To be fair, I doubt most third years actually know Bombarda. Hermione was probably the only third year who could have done that. Mm. And that's not how it happened in the book. True. The scene transitions to Hermione, Sirius, and Harry on Buckbeak's back. And as they fly around the castle, Hermione continues to scream as Sirius cheers. I still don't understand why Hermione's riding in the front spot if she hates flying so much. Like, you don't get in line for the front car if you're afraid of roller coasters. You just don't. Yeah, it probably would have made more sense to put her in the middle. Mm -hmm. It would likely feel a little more secure. Although, at least in front, she can hold on to the actual horsey bird and not have to rely on another person to have a good grip. True. I guess. I don't know. I'd be afraid of going forward. <laughs> that would be me. That'd be my luck, really. But also, you gotta love one last shot of crazy Gary Oldman. Only this time, he's crazy with happiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they land in the courtyard, climb off Buckbeak, and move out of sight so Harry and Sirius can have a few minutes for a heart-to-heart. -heart. 
and I literally have no snark for Sirius's speech because I'm too busy trying to figure out why my face is raining. <laughs> it's a very tender moment, and I completely understand why they included it in the movie scene, but that's not how it happened in the book where they knew they were extremely pressed for time and flew up to the top of the West Tower to get off the horsey bird so Sirius could make his escape without being seen. Sirius does take the time to ask how Ron is, but Harry and Hermione both rush him off as he tries to say thank you. He tells Harry that they will see each other again, and he truly is his father's son, and oh shit, my face is raining too. <laughs> see? And the movie gives more than that, because Harry tells Sirius that he wants to go with him. And Sirius tells him, one day perhaps, but for some time his life will be too unpredictable. Harry tries to point out that Sirius is innocent, and he responds by telling him that it'll do for now that Harry knows it. Then they get that necessary moment where Sirius tells Harry that he looks exactly like his father, but with his mother's eyes, which Harry finishes saying for him. Sirius smiles and says that it's cruel he got to spend so much time with James and Lily when Harry didn't. But he adds on that the ones who love us never really leave us. He says, you can always find them in here, as he places his hand over Harry's heart. <laughs> and and cue the face rain forecast. Right. <laughs> yeah, but there's also no sense of urgency to get him to safety. Well, yeah, there's that. But sweet. it is a super sweet moment nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Then in both... Harry and Hermione watch Sirius disappear into the sky as he and Buckbeak fly away. And this is where both the book chapter and the movie section ends. Hmm. Hang on, my face is still raining. <sighs> okay. Which will bring us to our Potter pondering. And we want to know if you think Dumbledore knew what was going on with Buckbeak's great escape the whole time. Also, I really want to know... Do hippogriffs lay eggs like birds, or do they give birth like horses? I mean, the back half is horsey-like. But the front half is birdie-like. But the, the business happens at the back end. <laughs> but we don't know what's going on inside. Exactly. That's a, yeah. I would love to know what you guys think I'm of that. Just, I, would I would lean towards birthed like horses, but at the same time, I mean, I've never not seen a hippogriff egg, so I suppose we can't rule it out. Right. Sure. Yeah, let us know. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's a deep one. It is. Yeah, we really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Laura Shanetag. She writes, I'm a Gryffindor. I have a redwood wand with unicorn hair, ten and three quarters, and quite bendy flexibility. My Patronus is a stoat. Everybody loves a good stoat. Just not in sandwich form unless they're Hagrid. Mm. I was six and hated reading. My grandma came home with the first one, it had just been released in Germany, and I just didn't want to read it. But since she insisted, I told her that she should read it to me. After the first chapter, I took the book away from her and told her she was reading way too slow. Didn't stop reading afterwards and still do. I grew up with Harry Potter and it will always be a huge part of my childhood. Fast forward a few years when Order of the Phoenix came out. My grades were really bad, so my mom figured the only way to get me to study for school was if she forbid me to read the book until I was doing better in school. Well, she said I wasn't allowed to read it, so I asked my grandma to read it to me. It took a while, but at least I got to hear the story, and afterwards I could reread it again. Fast forward another few years, and my little brother, age gap of 16 years, was six, and I decided it was time for him to read the story that was such a big thing in my childhood. 
He loved it, but my stepmom wouldn't allow him to read past the fourth book. He went to the school library and secretly got the other parts from there and read them. One of my proudest moments. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Man. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story, Laura. That is awesome. Like a little Dumbledore's army to read Dumbledore's army. Right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for that. I really love that story. <laughs> And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can just message it to us over social media. And that will bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what does Dean Thomas hope they will get as a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher next year? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag teachers pet will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And at this time, we'd really just like to take a moment to say happy holidays to all of our keepers. No matter what you're celebrating, enjoy it. Yeah, we don't want to leave any out, so we're just going to go with the straight happy holidays. And there's Festivus for the rest of us. Exactly. <laughs> we know that today is officially Christmas Eve when this episode dropped, but if you're like my family, we just kind of canceled Christmas because of the pandemic, so this is this is our big... I was going to say, it's it's a lot different this year from it's previous years, so we hope that whatever you're doing makes you happy, at least for as much as it can at this point with so much going on in the world. And join us next week when we talk about the final chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Chapter 22, Owl Post Again, and the sort of corresponding film scenes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.